Hi friends, my name is Radu Palamariu, Managing Director of Elkut Global and welcome to a new episode of Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. A very interesting setup. Today we will be replaying for you one discussion we had with four experts on the topic of COVID-19 vaccine distribution. I think you'll find it quite insightful. We've had uh, some of the brightest minds and the leaders that are involved in the movement of the vaccine. So please have a listen and, and hope you can fi- you find it uh, very useful. Now, without further ado, let me introduce the panelists. So on one side, we have Tom Venmokot, who is EVP Distribution and Client Services for Zulik Pharma. He's a member of the executive team with the PNL responsibility for North and Southeast Asia. He's also direct responsible for clinical reach, data analytics, and functional responsible for client development, operations, technology, and quality assurance. As you all know, Zulik Pharma is one of the largest distribution companies in Asia Pacific. Tom, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Then we have Daniel Wong, who is the Vice President of Strategy Planning and Engineering Cargo Services at SATS. He has extensive experience across supply chain, transportation, and aerospace industries, spanning across business PNL, management, operations, engineering, strategic planning, investment management, and procurement functions. He has extensive working experience in public listed companies, as well as strong leadership and interpersonal skills with working experience in many multicultural and multifunctional teams. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me here. Then we have Michael Kalmer Seymour, who is currently supporting the World Health Organization in the Western Pacific region as an advisor. He is focused on emergency supply chain logistics strategy, as well as ensuring that urgent vital medical supplies are securely distributed to meet the COVID-19 response. Michael has been in the region for many years. He's a proven leader with international companies within Asia, uh, mostly in the 3PL, having worked with DHL and Marken, driving business development, strategic planning, M&A, pre- and post-integration, and as well as innovation and societal leadership. He brings together with him 30 years of pharmaceutical and clinical trial supply chain logistics, airline express, post-logistics, as well as key account sales and startup experience. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Radu. Thank you. And last but not least, we have Lin Ching Kiat joining us, who is the Managing Director for Air Hub Development at Changi Airport Group. Ching Kiat is uh, overseeing the airline development, passenger development, air hub strategy and cargo logistics divisions. And his key responsibilities are to partner with airlines, tourism and logistics players to grow Changi Airport's passenger and cargo traffic and network. Ching Kiat, welcome and thanks for joining us. Raghu, thanks for having me. Thanks. So maybe let's start first and foremost with the first question, and and I'll start with with Tom on your side. What are some of the key challenges that you're currently, you know, foreseeing and encountering when it comes to the soon-to-be vaccine distribution? Thanks, Radio. I was fearing you would be starting with me, so uh, let let me get into it. Uh, No, I mean, the the press focuses very much on the top four or five early runners. If we look at the vaccines, we speak about them every day, but there's another 50 vaccines or companies behind that who are basically in clinical phase, another 160 vaccines behind that we are not in preclinical phase. That means basically in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see many more companies than there are four or five companies we're talking about, especially in the region we are covering. At Zulik Pharma, we focus on the healthcare destination storage as well as last mile solution. And obviously, this is very important to us because if we look at this COVID challenge we have right now would be comparable to a massive flu season, basically, except that if we have two or three, I would say three main differences and uh, three main challenges that we need to manage. Uh, the first challenge is 
we have a presence in 13 markets. And as we speak today, except a couple of markets, you heard the, the, the speech last night of uh, the prime minister, but in most of the markets, uh, we're in the 13 markets, we still don't know what vaccines will be approved, when those vaccines will be approved by the regulatory body, in what markets those vaccines will be approved, because we, we talk about many vaccines and options there, and what are the supply quantities that will be available for the different markets. And uh, all that obviously, obviously makes it very difficult for us to be able to plan first in terms of capacity we need, but also what temperature requirement and the administration of those vaccines. So a lot of details around that. Uh, the second challenge we have is more around uh, how can we really live by our mission of making healthcare more accessible and really provide equitable access, not only in, in, in terms of access of vaccine to the cities, but also access uh, in the, the remote provinces. And there, how can we leverage on the network of warehouses we have, on the data analytics solution we have in terms of really doing a good supply chain forecasting and, and just-in-time deliveries, especially for the booster. And last but not least, how can we leverage on the validated cold chain solutions we have like Easy Cooler and so on to make sure that we can really reach the far provinces and not only in the cities. And that brings me to the last and the third uh, challenge we have is the booster. Uh, you heard that all those vaccines will need to have two vaccines. If you look at the list of the other vaccines who are in clinical phases, some are even talk about three sessions basically, and we need to make sure that those boosts are provided to the right patient at the right time and in the right condition. Uh, and that's obviously uh, an extremely complex exercise to do in some of the markets we operate in because some of those boosts need to be 14, 14 days, 21 days, 28 days in different temperature conditions and so on. So all that, basically managing all that complexity will be a huge challenge for us. And that can only be done on our end. That's the way we see it uh, with technology, obviously. And that's how we're going to leverage on uh, one of the recent technology we have developed with Easy Tracker and the blockchain solution, basically. So those are the three key challenges we see. Mm. Thank you, Tom. Michael, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll switch over to you and, and you tell us also from the you know, WHO perspective, but also from what you've been experiencing the last couple of months. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Radu. Well, for, first of all, I mean, I, I am a consultant at the moment with WHO, but the opinions today are really my own. They're not representative of WHO. But I think, you know, staying on that, that tangent, UNICEF has been tasked with the distribution of the COVAX. So COVAX is obviously the global consortium that's going to be managing distribution of the vaccines to the first 3% and then 20% of the populations of the countries. UNICEF, you know, transports already 2 billion doses of vaccines a year. They already do that. It makes them the largest procurement agency in the world. So, you know, they're prepared. You know, UNICEF works very, very closely with, with some of the largest global forwarders. This is nothing new for them. What is new, of course, and Tom alluded to this, is well, you know, there's additional challenges to this. One is the temperature. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of the, the press around the Pfizer release in both the UK and America. I think you know, deep frozen minus 70 is potentially possible in the major cities in Asia, but it's definitely not possible in rural areas, and it wouldn't make sense. So I think there are additional challenges with, with the temperature control securing that. There's also additional challenges around reaching the last mile. Again, you know, as Tom has alluded to, we have thousands of islands in the Philippines and Malaysia and Indonesia, not to mention the Pacific Islands. The Pacific Islands, some islands can only be reached by boat. So all of those have uh, an added challenge to it. We have to also think about counterfeit drugs as well. We know counterfeit is, is out there already. And so that also has to be closely monitored and managed. And I think, you know, to summarize, there isn't one organization or one company that can do that. It's a consortium. It's a collaboration between public and private 
everybody has to get on board. You know, there's no time to talk about competitiveness anymore. I like the example the United States have, have done where the FedEx and UPS have divided the country by half and they work together. Uh, they work together with the FAA to get their landing slots and taking slots and they, you know, they deliver a joint product. And I think that's, that's how we have to move forward. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Chinkyat, maybe, maybe over to you from a Changi airport perspective and tell us a little bit from, from your side and from, from, your, you know, from your angle. Yeah. Hi, thanks. Uh, I think the, the issues that we face are common to what uh, Tom and uh, Michael have raised earlier. I think the key one that we faced in the initial stage was the information as well, because I think different parties have different information. Some of the arrangements are commercially sensitive as well. And then some of the different vaccines are still pending different stages of approval, hence not quite ready to share, even uh, which government was ordering what type of vaccine, not very clear. But I, I totally agree with what Michael said earlier. I think the community approach is very important. So uh, we formed at Changi, we formed the Changi Ready Task Force. We got together everybody, both the private sector logistics providers and also the respective government agencies. And there was a lot of sharing. I think the good sharing was that although some things are still commercially sensitive, but where we could share who is preparing what, you know, I think that led to a lot of reassurance that, oh, we actually found out that different companies have already formed their own task force and are getting ready. And then yet there are some unknown unknowns that collectively we're not very sure and we put together. And uh, again, the public-private partnership, very important in this case, because the COVID issues are so complex in the, the cases that we saw uh, in the US, I think there's the dry ice regulation, all that. Some, some of these are new issues uh, that uh, we need to come together and conduct trials together to be able to find a solution. So I think the key part is the information uncertainty, but again, coming together as a group, you can see how to reduce that. And also we walk through what are the top risk factors. We actually map out where are the areas we think are risky and we put some action steps in terms of who owns the risk, what's going to be done to, about it, and we just keep getting ready. Yeah? Like Tom says, it's a long exercise. It's not just one or two months. I think for the next uh, 18 to 24 months. And so for us at Changi, of course, the first and foremost priority is to secure Singapore's uh, import of vaccine. But once we get that thing done, I think if there's a role for us to play for the regional distribution, I think we are we have a good network of flights uh, of 80 city links uh, of cargo links that we can hope to fill up this to fulfill this role. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Jinkia. And and Daniel, obviously, sites being a, a major partner to, to well Changi Airport, but also in the region, your your regional uh, terminal and air cargo operations service provider. Tell us a little bit from from your perspective where you stand there. Well, I think uh, as mentioned by my fellow panelists, I think one of the major question, I mean, challenge is really to maintain the temperature integrity throughout the supply chain. And for many countries today, I think the infrastructure may not be there and uh, infrastructure can't be built uh, in a week, in a month. So that is going to be the big challenge for most of the countries. On this front, SETS is happy to say that, you know, we, we started this journey uh, back in 2010 when we built a fully dedicated temperature control handling facility in Singapore and also across our network of uh, cargo terminals in, in nine different cities in Asia itself. So we, we started that journey in 2010, 2010. So for us, in the last few months, it has been just to reinforce those capabilities that we have already set up before and how to do things better. I think that's really one challenge is really maintaining the temperature integrity and having the necessary infrastructure. 
The second challenge I, I see is that you know uh, we, we all must be very mindful that all of us, every single stakeholder in the entire supply chain, is trying to prepare to, to handle this vaccine. But what is very important is that, uh, and Chinket mentioned a little bit about that, is that you know we, we need to work together. We need to share with each other what we have been preparing because at the end of the day, whether the vaccine gets to the eventual pay, uh, uh, individuals to get it inoculated, uh, it depends on going through the entire supply chain. And, and if we have one weak link, that will really defeat the purpose. So really working together, making sure that everybody is uh, in sync so that you know the whole supply chain is in sync. That's very important too, I think. And I'll, I'll stay with you for a moment, Daniel, because I, I also remember when, when we did the pre-panel, you were sharing and, and Kinkia alluded a little bit, creating this, this sharing, right? And, and it kind of goes into the next topic of getting ready, right? And preparing. And I know that all of you have already done things to prepare yourself. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. I, I know that at SETS, you have your own unit and also maybe in the perspective of how to best share with all the different players, right? So we actually keep that collaboration true, not just, you know, buzzwords. Yeah, definitely love to share that. Like what Chinkit said, we, we are also an active participant in Changi Ready Task Force in Singapore. So we are, we are part of the task force and we have been working together with uh, Chinkit's team and the rest of the stakeholders to see how we can best prepare Singapore as a, as a pharmaceutical hub for this vaccine. Uh, on top of that, as I mentioned, we have 12 other facilities in, in Middle East and Asia in 12 major cities. And we are all and in, internally, we have also formed a task force uh, which I'm now heading it uh, from Singapore, where we share, we gather everybody and we share information. So for example, our facility in Beijing and our facility in Jakarta has already started uh, handling the, the Sinovac uh, vaccine uh, when it's shipped out from Beijing and when it's received in Jakarta. So with that experience that they have already had, they have a head start in it. And uh, therefore, by them sharing with the rest of the group, uh, everybody learns and we all fine tune what we need to know and, and that will help. And eventually, obviously, for us, you know, it's very important that what we know from the rest of our facilities, we bring it back to Changi ready so that, you know, we also help the, the Singapore uh, hub to be ready for that. Got it. I'll go the other way around this time. So, Chinkiat, from, from your, you know, your, your area, maybe you can also give us some examples. I mean, Singapore announced, was it today, yesterday, that, that it, you know, the Pfizer vaccine was also approved here. EDB has invested in a separate vaccine that is expected to come out in, in January. Maybe tell us a little bit also what steps you already took at Changi to get ready. Sure. So uh, the for the task force for Changi Ready, I think we got together, we had a what we call a risk-storming exercise. Huh? So we brainstormed what are the possible risks and we rated them in terms of the likelihood and the impact, which are the critical areas. So as a follow-up item, we've had three major areas. Huh? One is capability mapping. I think at the start, I think for different players in the ecosystem, they're not very sure who has what capabilities and, and how much of it. So I think the capabilities mapping is important. And then the step two is in terms of making sure there's data visibility as much as we can across the, the different players on the ecosystem. What, what can we share data on? And the third step is actually also mapping out the SOPs and processes, just again to see are there any areas that we need to beef up or we need to speed up the clearance of uh, in certain ways. Uh. Uh, so again, having the private-public partnership is important. So the customs regulators will know uh, are there some processes that they can do even better. I think the next step now we are actually doing is that 
marketing ourselves as a hub to engage the pharmaceutical manufacturers because I think that I know that pharmaceutical manufacturers at this stage, they are just all swamped. Huh? They have limited bandwidth to talk to also so many different companies on the supply chain, but we, are, we have uh, engaged them to talk as to represent the whole community to sell the proposition as a hub, how they can work with us on this. So I think these are some of the things that are underway. Yep. Mm. And we're getting a lot of questions and thanks everybody. And I'm, I'm reading it and keep, keep posting it and I'll start to insert. So Michael, on, on, on your side, you know, and also from your observations, I'll also slip here. There were, there were some, some questions that came in, you know, also on this, this kind of theme of getting ready. One was, has there been a global guidance to the air cargo industry? What is actually optimal transportation if, if something like that has, has happened? And then there's another question that I will also slip in. I'll load it for you, Michael, is if there's any sort of idea how many planes, how many, how much capacity will this actually take? Because there's been discussions of 8,747, 747s. Is there any sort of gauge around that? Thanks, Radek. What's the second prize? <laughs> so I think to answer your first question, are there any guidances? I mean, obviously, there are many, many bodies, IATA being the obvious one. IATA is talking to the airlines. We're talking to the Freight Forwarders Association. There are guidelines on, on how to move dry ice, which is obviously has limitations on passenger aircraft. So all of these things are, are being discussed. And I think, you know, th there, are, there are airport regulations. I think what's really important, and I, I don't know if it's been discussed or agreed on yet, are the commercial terms of cross-border vaccines. Because if, if countries are starting to impose tariffs, duties, and taxes, that is gonna not only slow things down, but it's gonna be a financial burden. So I think the World Trade Organization, if it already hasn't done, needs to come in and give this commodity a special harmonization code. Vaccines should be tax and duty-free, especially if they're donations, because everything else is just gonna slow the process down and risk delays. To your second question about capacity, I, I've seen a lot of headlines out there that we need, you know, 70,000 jumbo jets and things like that. I, I think realistically what's going to happen is pharmaceutical companies need time to ramp up. It's, it's, I, thought, I saw a statistic the other day that the entire vaccine uh, requirement for air freight is, represents about 1.4% of the 2019 freight numbers. It's not colossal. Everybody thinks that the pharmaceutical companies will open the doors. There's going to be billions of doses flying out. It's a slow process. The other thing that will help, and I think is a very good idea, is that countries will start looking at local manufacturing. So if I take the example of AstraZeneca and the Oxford University vaccine, they have made agreement, I believe, in Thailand and also Australia, where it's going to be locally produced. It's going to be made in Thailand, made in Australia, which means you don't have to fly the vaccines around the world. So I think a combination of local manufacturing together with local pharmaceutical companies who've been given the patent, together with a slow and reasonable ramp up phase will not put a, a huge stress on the air, air cargo market. Thank you for that. Tom, quite a few questions came in specifically for you and for Zulig. And in this context, and also knowing that you guys have prepared quite thoroughly, well, you have no choice. Uh, you, you have to kind of swim. <laughs> you throw yourselves and swim with, with, with what comes. There's two particular angles that, that I want to specifically address in this preparation phase. So there's one around counterfeit and around 
making sure you know you you can you can trace that the the vaccine is authentic because there's already problems with counterfeit vaccines and two there's another question in terms of packaging and how do you how do you actually uh, you know prepare and, and and package it properly so maybe you can address this to priority and then obviously if there's other things that you want to share on it yeah, and actually they fit pretty well. Thanks, they fit pretty well, obviously, if we look at uh, how, how we're preparing ourselves and how do we mitigate for some of the challenges uh, challenges we have. And uh, and I think I've heard a lot of, I mean, commonalities in terms of themes. We talk we talk about capabilities, we talk about, obviously, capacity and, and collaboration, which is key. Now, what is at the core, obviously, of whatever we do, and all of us here in, in, in the call, obviously, is patient safety. Uh, and I think that's the first thing that comes uh, to mind. And whatever we need to do and whatever we implement is keeping patient safety into mind because uh, it's about the vaccine stability, it's about the vaccine efficacy, uh, and to make sure there's no risk for the patient. But also because if we have to destroy a batch because of wrong handling, that also delays further vaccination uh, down down the stream, basically. So all that is core, and that that that, that a bit uh, aligned with the, the two uh, team you wanted me to, to to cover a bit more in detail is counterfeit and and and, and packaging. If we look at counterfeit, obviously uh, you. you you heard a couple of weeks ago there was a, a warning from Interpol uh, recently said that there's been an alert because of increased counterfeiting risk because of fake vaccines that's one thing but it's not only about counterfeiting it's also about traceability so have the vaccines been managed the proper way the entire supply chain and have the, have them been sold at the point of delivery for instance have they been administered by the doctor at the point of delivery where we can ensure and guarantee that culture integrity was respected and those two two elements are different, but they're linked. And, and that's one of the one of the key challenges we, we, we're working on, obviously. And, and I think the good side of, of a crisis is that this uh, accelerates innovation. This year, we've seen a lot of innovation in many areas, but uh, especially on our side, on the distribution side, uh, in, in many areas. One key area for us was uh, we accelerated our blockchain solution. And that was really with three uh, three key elements uh, in mind. And the first element, obviously, is, is counterfeit. It's about uh, guaranteeing uh, authenticity of the product and guaranteeing traceability. And that's important for the patients, important for the authorities, important for the manufacturers, and important as well for uh, for the doctors, obviously. So it's really the, the entire uh, stakeholders who, who are concerned by that. And uh, that's about uh, counterfeiting, but also cross-border trading. And as well, obviously, if something happens, how can we initiate recalls? It's very important. We do know where the, the vaccines are if something goes wrong, and we need to initiate a recall. That's very important. So. Two is about, uh, maybe that one I'll cover a bit later, actually, sorry. Now, in terms of packaging, I think that's an important an important piece. And we've seen, obviously, a lot of presentation around the packaging. Obviously, if you look at 228, minus 20, minus 70, required very different set of packaging. Uh, but even for the 228 in some of the markets, which is the simplest form of, of cold chain, if we, if, we, if we mention it, even for the 228, there's a lot of know-how and a lot of IP and a lot of process, a lot of education, a lot of training behind that to make sure that the teams on the ground can handle it properly. So, And that comes to the three teams I said in terms of what can we build? What are we building on in terms of preparing for the distribution capabilities, capacity, and uh, and collaboration? And the capability side, it's really what we've seen the last few years: uh, a drastic increase in cold chain pharma products. I mean, the last few years, like, the the growth rate have been uh, more than the non cold chain uh, product, and with very straining and demanding QA requirements from the manufacturers, but as well as from the authorities, basically. So obviously, this has forced us for us to really set up a, a clearly defined ecosystem for the management of uh, the last mile 
a logistic of cold chain products, basically. And, uh, and that's where the packaging comes in. And we've done a lot of testing of not only the equipment, but the packaging, but also the processes. Uh, and all that needs to be tested and validated, not only by us, but also by the manufacturer, also by the manufacturer of uh, the equipment also by the authorities and so on. And just to give you an example, we have to pass here in our region more than 300 audits, quality assurance audits a year across the region for those type of validation and make sure that our processes are made for uh, cold chain and, and pharma, manu- uh, pharma transportation, basically. So that's really for us key to be able to develop a robust uh, process, but having the people train on the QA side, having the operation teams as well, not only the QA people, but also the operation team, and really make sure we can guarantee product integrity with uh, that packaging solution and, and storage and so on and so on. Basically, there's a lot of work behind that. That came to the point of a couple of the speakers here as well. It does not happen overnight, and, and we have to prepare in advance for that. I'll just just very quickly double click a little bit, Tom, uh, with a specific question. So let's say that you get the Pfizer or whatever, doesn't matter, right? Whatever, X vaccine, right? You get it. Are you, as Ulic Pharma right now, able to tra- trace it from where it came to all the, you know, all the different points? Is that solution able to do that or? It's a very good question. Or a question. layman like me? No, no, yeah, no, it's a very good question. Uh, it's something, and, and, and uh, luckily for us, it's something we started to work on uh, earlier this year, even before COVID started, actually, it was late last year. And uh, yes, we have launched a solution. And for the, some of the manufacturers we work on, for some of the manufacturers which whom we have uh, rolled out the solution in some of the markets, we have indeed, we can track and trace the authenticity throughout the entire supply chain until we deliver it to the doctor. And then the patient uses a, a smartphone app to check the authenticity of the drug one, but also to check if the product is at the right place at the right time and it's been handled by the right uh, set of uh, companies throughout the process. Michael, you've had experience with, uh, you know, with very far places, right? Islands and, and remote, remote areas. And also, I mean, let's, let's, let's just speak, uh, you know, Indonesia has thousands of islands, Philippines, thousands of islands. There's countries where last mile will be an incredible challenge. I mean, Singapore, for example, and the big cities, maybe not so much, but if you have to deliver in the mountains somewhere, and even to, you know, for that two to eight degrees, last mine can, can be tricky, right? So how, how will that work? I mean, it, it, it seems like that last mile seems to my head, you know, a, a, a serious complex issue. And I'm, I'm just, how, you know, tell us maybe a little bit on how, on, on, from your perspective of, of how it will, it will get distributed. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we've, we've covered a little bit before, but again, it goes back to the public-private partnerships. I mean, everybody has to be mobilized to do this. So, for instance, you know, Zulik has, it works very closely with the, with the Filipino military, and they allow aircraft to, to uplift urgent supplies to some islands. The Australian government also supporting the Pacific with, with military assets to fly vaccines and, and medicines to islands that, that can't be reached. You know, there's even there's even discussions about drone delivery going to really, really far flung places. And this already exists. This is nothing new. UNICEF uses regularly drones in in remote Africa to to get vaccines into villages. So it's really about thinking out of the box. It's also about how do you manage the people? Generally, when you do vaccination programs, you, you, you have a herding, so you bring people together in, in, in central locations. That, of course, has other implications as well. You've got to make sure that, that, that it's safe. India, for instance, is mobilizing its election campaign force because it's all about getting the right people in the right place at the right time. But, you know, again, going back to the, to the phasing of, of the vaccines, not everybody is going to get it in the same month. There's, there's a very 
clear planning process that matches the amount of vaccines that can be made. And obviously, as time goes by, there's going to be more and more pharmaceutical companies that will have their vaccines approved. The first priority are the frontline health workers and then those at risk. And then somehow the rest of us will be we caught up. The other thing to realize is that not everybody wants the vaccine. And you look at the opinion polls in some countries, it's up to 50% of the population that don't want to be vaccinated. So how will governments mandate that? You can't force people to have vaccines. It's all about a campaign to build trust. So again, you don't necessarily want to force this on people. I think as the first vaccines come around, there's a positive effect. The, the infection rates are going down. After three or four months, people are gonna say, you know what guys, everybody's, let's, let's, let's join in because it's safe. That also gives us a little bit more time to, to prepare. Thank you, Michael. Daniel, for you, and, and we've gotten this question from a few sources, Frank from, uh, you know, from Gardner um, Europe is chipping in. And I think this is on, on top of everybody's mind. And you're the only one on this panel that has some experience from Indonesia in already handling it, right? And, and doing it. And SETS has already, you know, has already actively distributed or being involved in the distribution. So tell us, without disclosing top secrets and without, you know, whatever you can share, in terms of the question was key lessons learned so far. Well, the, the, the key lessons learned really is uh, planning, making sure that planning, not only when the flight arrives, but way before the flight arrives with the various uh, stakeholders. So that's very important. The second part of it is really, you know, how to get the, the vaccine shipment upon arrival of the aircraft from the aircraft to the cargo facility or the, the cold rooms in, in the airport in the shortest possible time. Business is not as usual. Uh, these are vaccine shipment. So that is, that is also important. And, and the, third, the third part of it is at the end of the day, we are talking about maintaining the supply chain, shortening the supply chain so that we can maintain the temperature integrity. The third part of it is really, you know, upon arrival at, at, at the cargo terminal, how do we work with the recipients, be it companies like Zurich or be it governments in, in those territories? How do we work with those recipients so that, you know, we hand over the vaccine shipment as soon as possible so that they can be transported to the next point? Uh, as soon as possible. Really, the entire the entire lesson learned is really how to get that vaccine across the supply chain in the fastest uh, possible time. I think that's one thing that, that we have learned. And, and I think my fellow panelists mentioned about it, and that requires uh, a lot of uh, work on that. Uh, so for us, you know, we are really, if I may say, we're tearing down our current SOP to see how it applies to vaccine and, and really leave no stone and, and unturned. And for every step of the SOP, we ask ourselves, you know, can we do better? Can we do better? So that's one. And secondly, also, you know, it's not just the ground handler, like I mentioned earlier. I mean, it's the entire supply chain. It's not just a ground handler. So where does customs come in, in terms of clearance of the shipment, right? Where does the, the, the airport the security comes in, in terms of security of the system or of the shipment? So, so all this does play a part. And, and based on what we have learned so far, really the, the coordination, the coordination amongst the various uh, entities, uh, be it with the airlines, be it with the uh, government authorities, be it with, uh, with the recipients, the, the consignees, uh, be it with the shipper, uh, is extremely important. Uh, Chinky had a very interesting question that, uh, that popped out from memory. Memory is, is actually joining us from US and, and she's asking if COVID vaccination becomes a prerequisite for international flying, which it might, and there's, there's a lot of discussions around that. And, and again, you, might, you may or may not be able to answer, but I'm going to ask you. And if you, you know, if you don't have an answer yet, that's, that's fine. But the question goes, are there systems in place to trace the authenticity of a vaccination record if that becomes a prerequisite? Or are there plans for such a system to be put in place? 
Yeah, I think there's a talk among airlines and among IATA also and among the regulators on ideas of a, a vaccine a passport. I think for this unique case is quite, I think for the COVID case is quite, quite unique. So I think there's some discussions ongoing, but I think nothing has been firmed up. And I think to make further complications, uh, different countries have different regulatory standards and then there are different vaccines which are recognized by different countries. So may take some time to sort out. So I think in our interest, wearing my other passenger hat is in also in my interest, not just looking beyond the cargo service, that this process gets started and gets implemented as, as fast as we can so that travel can, can uh, restart as, as well. Yep. Got it. Michael, you, you just prompted from Arndt the question on the ancillary equipment. You want to you want to tackle that in terms of you yeah know, no it's 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 a it's, yeah. it's a good question hi Ant I, I hope you're well good to see you on here um, but it's a good question because everybody believes that that you know the main focus has really been on temperature management of these vaccines but there's an awful lot of other ancillaries around it there's PPE there's needles there's syringes also need to get there and again in the US I think the Moderna vaccine comes out with a kit which enables the nurses and the doctors to, to, to uh, administer it straight away, whilst Pfizer has their vaccines delivered at a separate time of when the excess incendiaries are, are delivered. So it's equally as important. You know, we, we think that we've, we've been looking for this vaccine for the past eight months, and, and therefore countries have had time to stockpile and get this material in place. You know, when COVID came upon us, we were taken by surprise. And you, you remember the mad rush to buy PPE and everything. There were no flights. The PPE prices went up. We've known that this vaccine is coming now for months and, and countries should have, and I think they have, stockpiled enough and similar devices. Another point which we also need to consider is waste management. If you're vaccinating an entire population, you have an awful lot of bio waste and not a lot of countries have the facilities to destroy that which is incineration and have that capacity. Therefore, I think the logistics industries have to set up and offer that as part of their reverse logistics. When they bring the vaccines there, they should already be able to take the waste away, work with government facilities to make sure that waste is, is destroyed and burned according to, to regulations. So there's a whole 360 logistics ch uh, challenge there. Mm. Thank you. Tom, a question that came in from really now, which is, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask the question, but I think we can expand it even further. So the question goes, do you foresee industry investing in cold chain infrastructure for COVID then going idle? Because, you know, obviously at some point COVID will be, will be over. Is there a problem? Can it be mitigated also? I'm thinking, you know, also, you know, the, the cold chain capacity in general, you know, right now cold chain is used to transport also ice creams and food and other things, and some of that capacity will go away. So I guess a relevant question and, and over to you, Tom. Yeah, well, uh, it's a good it's a good question because I think uh, a, lot, a lot of people have a misconception that huge stocks are going to come in. We're going to sit on the stock for three months in our warehouse and then we're going to ship them out. But actually, it's going to be all about just in time. So whatever comes in goes out as soon as possible to the pre-established areas we need to, de uh, to deliver that. So collaboration, again, for that will be key and uh, for public-private collaboration to make sure we can plan ahead and may supply make supply chain forecasting models to make sure not only for the first vaccine, but also for the booster, we have uh, just-in-time delivery for those vaccines. So, so that's one. So it comes in, goes out. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean we cannot do it. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't need to invest. Yes, we invest in more capacity. We are in a pretty 
lucky spot on our end because uh, we are the largest vaccine uh, distributor in, in, uh, in Asia already. So we start on a pretty good base, not only for vaccine, but for cold chain in general. We have a pretty large uh, capacity uh, across the region. We are probably about 20,000 cold chain pallets in the region across our 80, 80 warehouses, basically. So it's already a pretty large capacity out there. Having said that, some of the markets uh, we have recently invested uh, in expanding that capacity because they're fast growing market for cold chain markets, as I said originally. And uh, those markets are uh, just to name a few. I mean, Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, uh, Korea. We have expanded the, the, the capacity. And usually we do that for a five to 10 year horizon in mind. So there we already have quite a bit of capacity. And some other markets we are accelerating because we did not plan to, uh, to invest now, but we do it now that we need to do as we need to be able to provide for the COVID uh, distribution. So. So that's key. That capacity, obviously, uh, will not go unused forward because anyway, we are growing. The cold chain requirements are growing. And keep in mind that uh, it's not like we're going to do one COVID vaccine and that's going to disappear. Uh, we still don't know how long that vaccine is going to be valid for. Is it in six months, in a year, in two years time that we need to be revaccinated? That's going to become kind of a, a flu again, a flu type of vaccine that's going to come on a regular basis. So that capacity will be used uh, anyway. So yes, we invest probably a bit more than what we would have invested, yes, uh, if there would be no crisis, for sure. But having said that, that capacity will be used. Got it. Michael, for you, this question that has come in through different uh, people, they were, they were wondering, obviously, air will be the first mode of transport. But the question was, will, the, will we see intermodal? Will we also see sea used as a, as a way of transportation? And Definitely. If, yeah. No, I, I believe I believe that that is possible. I mean, you know, sea voyages are not what they used to be. You can go intercontinental in 10, 12 days. You know, it's absolutely, uh, definitely the, the incineraries, but also vaccines. You have reefer containers that are perfectly good. You have tracking devices where you can see visibility. You know, the food industry has been doing this for, for a long time. And I think, you know, vaccines can definitely go by sea. Obviously not in the early days because it's all about getting the first line healthcare workers covered. But as the general population rolls out, there's only so much capacity in terms of staffing and nurses and doctors who can administer that. So then you can have a supply chain that is still just in time, but is slowed down. It's never, it's not going to be 48 hours. It's going to be 30 days. And, and I think that's all doable. Yeah. Mm. A couple of questions uh, or the kind of similar question for, for Daniel and from, uh, for Chinkyat. More from, um, I guess, tracing that temperature and, and making sure there's no, you know, there's no variation that would uh, well, will render pretty much the vaccine no longer, uh, you know, valid. How do you how do you trace that? How do you make sure that you know those permutations are within the framework of, of what is allowed? And uh, and maybe you can share a little bit on that angle because there's been a couple of questions that have been asked like that. Okay, maybe let, let me let me share uh, on that, uh, Radu. So for, for the maintaining the temperature integrity, so first of all, you know, our facilities have uh, cold rooms with different temperature ranges. So therefore, obviously, you know, we, we will have to understand what is the storage requirements of those vaccines coming in and put them in the right place. Uh, in fact, we are, we are even looking today at, you know, monitoring and uh, putting on temperature sensor onto the vaccine shipment the moment it's offloaded from the airplane while it's on its journey to the, to the cargo terminal. So we are even looking at that and, and monitoring the temperature. And then once it's in the facilities, the, the facility has got a monitoring system that will monitor the temperature of each of the cold room that we have. Uh, and therefore, and we also have a, a system, the system will also basically sound an alarm or alert whenever there is a risk of a temperature excursion. 
And then once that happens, if it happens, hopefully it will not, then we have to take on basically preventive action to either move the product to another room because we have quite a number of cold rooms with the same temperature range. So that is our, our intention, really to, to add on additional effort to track the temperature of the shipment during the journey between airplane, aircraft, and, and the terminal. Super. Chinkat, you want to you want to add? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm also. I mean, I know that you have some incredible facilities at the uh, Changi Airport, and also in preparation for you know for the Changi Airport acting as a regional yep. hub for the. Yep. I think uh, just uh, like what uh, Daniel said uh, earlier, I think you know the different based on our conversations with all the different stakeholders at Changi. I think uh, SAS has its own solution. The Nata, I think different different players they have already their own. Uh, solution to provide that and a good thing is also some of them have also done a customized uh, COVID solution just for this uh, vaccine uh, exercise so we think that this issue is uh, well looked after yeah thanks super um so uh, uh, I mean, me just chime in a little bit more on what we're really doing uh, in Singapore so you know, like I mentioned earlier you know our objective is to really shorten the transit time from aircraft to terminal and from terminal to aircraft that's really our focus today and, and even for this, we are working really with uh, Changi Airport Group, you know, to the extent of you know, when the aircraft carrying the vaccine coming to Singapore, where is the best place to park the airplane so that, you know, the traveling time to the terminal is minimized. So we are even looking to that extent. Super. So I'll, I'll, I'll end with, you know, with some parting thoughts for, for each four of you. But before I go, I'll, I'll also say to everybody that, um, you know, all, all that you registered on Zoom will put out the next summit where we'll actually try to get uh, people both from the Singapore government, from the Singapore players, as well as worldwide um, to share some of the case studies. So the next summit will be on the 4th of February. So by then there will be some active rollouts and I think a lot of lessons learned. So stay tuned and we'll, we'll make those details available. So maybe let's end the panel with a couple of parting thoughts from each of the panelists in terms of, you know, maybe as a, as a summary or as a hope from, from each of you. So Tom, I'll start with you again. Yeah, no, I, I think we all, we all mentioned a couple of key, key topics there and collaboration, collaboration, collaboration always comes top. And I think that's very important. And again, we need to, to focus on that. And I know that in the first preparation phase, we're all kind of working alone, but now we need to open up and really see how can we collaborate better and more effectively. And I think that that's very important. And obviously we have a couple of the partners here, but there's more, more out there. And I think another, and I think there was a sentence that was said by uh, Ken Frazier, the CEO of uh, Merck, who said it very well, is that it's, it's not only a matter of vaccine, it's a matter of vaccination. And, and that comes to the key element of trust. And what, what role can we play in improving that trust in the vaccine? Basically, there's a lot of discussion around the medical part of it, and I will leave that to the medical specialist. But us as supply chain experts, I would say we have a key role to play to make sure that those vaccines get in the right condition, at the right place, at the right time to the right patient. And how can we make sure we can collaborate and make sure that all those bits and pieces of work fit very well together to have one value proposition for the safety of the patient. And what tech can we build on? What expertise? What can we build on? Capabilities and so on and so on. It all comes together, basically. And that's really what we need to keep in mind. Uh, how can we make sure the patients feel we help them to bring that trust in the vaccine? And, and what role can we play for that? Michael? I, I think two things. One is, you know, people say it's the beginning of the end of COVID. I, and I'm, I'm slightly cautious about that. I think it's definitely, it's a good start to, to next year where we have a weapon that we can start fighting COVID with. It's not going to be a quick battle. You know, I think what's really, really important is, is we protect our healthcare workers who are the front line. 
and then we protect um, those at risk. The risk is, of course, that those at risk often have underlying health conditions and they haven't necessarily been tested in phase three trials. So it's a very, very slow process. And, and we have to be aware of that. The other thing that I'd say is that, that general health care has taken a back seat this year because of this. People who generally go to hospital for checkups for you know, chronic diseases, they haven't been able to do that. Vaccination programs for measles, polio it, have fallen behind. So again, we've got to catch up in making sure that other illnesses are covered. And whilst it's good to focus on COVID, but we can't forget everybody else who requires general medicine and pharmaceuticals. So the show must go on. Thank you. Daniel? Well, I think this is a very significant moment for every one of us, right? Uh, that the vaccine is coming out. And uh, in sense, we are extremely honored to, to play a role. And like what Tom said earlier, really the key objective is to save lives. I mean, th this is a very important objective and we're all part of it. And we hope, I hope and myself, and we hope all hope that, you know, the entire distribution will be successful and uh, we will come out better uh, in 2021. Jin mm, Yep, uh, I think agree with all the comments said. I think for, especially for Changi Airport, this is also not really a commercial exercise because actually we don't get a lot of uh, revenues from cargo, but really is to speed up the recovery and then to save lives. I think some of the earlier comments were also talking about remote access uh, to the smaller places. I think for, I have heard some companies preparing to pre-position the vaccine in Singapore and then until where the last mile issues are ready and then for distribution for that. So that could also, we could also play the other role to help plug some of these uh, remote places. But I think again, key wish, the, the faster we get everything out and implemented and uh, vaccinated, I think the sooner recovery will be. So that is uh, our key focus right now. Thanks. Super. Well, with, with that being said, I want to thank you all for your time, for, uh, you know, for all the insights uh, to, to all of you. Also, I want to thank all the people that participated. It, we've had loads and loads of questions, and unfortunately, I couldn't ask all of it, but we will make sure to address some in, in the next days and in the next summit. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in and um, stay tuned. And, and, you know, hopefully more and more of these stories, case studies come up and then we can share in the spirit of collaboration and, uh, you know, all supply chain, as supply chain practitioners do our part in, in helping each other. So thank you so much. Stay healthy, stay safe and see you soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcotglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.